Well, this is week five of the, the uh, Future Youth Series, and our title today is Make Sure You Have What You Cannot Lose. Make sure you have what you cannot lose. If you have your Bible or you want to use your phone or tablet or something, turn to Luke, the 10th chapter. We're going to start with verse 38 just in a minute. But what we've been talking about through this entire series is who you want to be in five years. It's not just a normal kind of New Year's resolution that we've been looking at. You know, what I want to do at the end of this year, but we're looking long-term, making maybe even some big statements as the goals that we're taking. And so the question we've been asking is, who do you want to be in five years, and what's the plan to get there? And today I want to kind of twist it just a little bit and ask the question, what if? What if it doesn't go the way you planned? What if life happens? What if things kind of are derailed, things go off the rails and don't happen the way you planned? Are you ready for that? When I was a senior in high school, I want to show you a photo. I'm not sure if you can pick me out. I'm the handsome guy right here in the middle. Who knew, right? That's the guy my wife fell in love with. And uh, now she's going, what happened to the rest of you? You know, the top part. And... Uh, but that's, that's me as a senior in high school. That was a <clears throat> few years ago. But the, uh, I, was in a, I was in the senior, or the, the, uh, the school musical. It wasn't just for seniors. It was a school musical. And uh, I had one of the lead roles in that. And uh, the second night of performances, first night, everything went perfect. Second night of performance. I went to a certain point on the stage, there was a wagon, there was a prop that was supposed to be in that wagon, and whoever was responsible for making sure all the props were in all the right places didn't bother to put that prop in that wagon. And so when I got there, horror to horrors, there was no prop, and so I just started ad-libbing, right? You talk about going off the rails, man. I was talking and speaking, and eventually veered back to the original script, and we went on. It could have been a disaster. I learned once a, a very valuable lesson in that. In re retrospect, not in the moment, but over time, I realized that things don't always go according to script. And some of you know that. You've made plans, and they haven't gone the way you planned, right? Here's the deal. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, and there are two teams who are so excited to be in Miami playing for Super Bowl 54. And they have been dreaming about this, some of them, their whole lives. And they have been planning all season, maybe some of them for their entire career, for this moment. And they've been, the coaching staffs have been writing out schemes and plays specifically for this. But one thing is going to happen today. One of those teams is going to be really disappointed because it's not going to turn out the way they had dreamed and they had hoped. It just never does because one team wins and one team will lose. And nobody enters into this thinking, we're going to lose. They're just not going to do that. So they're going to be disappointed. Here's what I want us to focus on this morning in lieu of this question, what if. When things don't go as planned, remember the thing that cannot be taken away is your relationship with Jesus. Make sure you have what you cannot lose. 
Look at what Luke writes. He, talks, he tells us a story here about an encounter that Jesus had with some people who eventually would become very good friends of his. And we read about it in Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, Martha is hosting this new, young, up-and-coming rabbi. This is a big deal to her, as it would be for any of us if you hosted somebody who was prominent in the culture, somebody famous like that. Well, the text goes on, verse 39. It says, she, that's Martha, had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha is in the kitchen working. Mary is in the living room sitting at Jesus' feet listening to every word that he says. And Martha's fixing a meal, and this dinner is important to her. And it's important to everybody. Even the people who are going to eat it. They want it to be good. They want it to be hot and ready. Everything had to be just right for Jesus. He's a big deal. And then we read this in verse 40. Martha comes a little unhinged. She says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made, that had to be made. Martha's a little frustrated. She's caught up in the moment, right? She gets worried. This isn't going to be ready on time. Anybody have that on Easter dinner or Thanksgiving where you're trying to get everything heated and on the table at the right time, right? Where's her sister, Mary? She should be in here helping me. Where is she? So she wipes her hands on a towel, tosses it on the counter, and goes to look for her. She's not outside. She's not in the laundry room. She's not even in her bedroom taking a nap. And then she finds her. She's sitting on the floor in front of Jesus doing absolutely nothing to get ready for this meal. And so Martha stomps into the presence of Jesus, and this is what we read at the end of verse 40. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> She's appealing to his compassion. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Man, could we really make a statement, Lord, if you just directed her to get into the kitchen where she belongs and help me? Now, that's Martha saying it. It's not Monty, okay? <laughs> you with me? <laughs> Sister power. All right, all right. Here we go. Look what Jesus said to Martha. I think he smiled. I don't, it doesn't say it in the text, but I can almost see it in his eyes. A little smile creeps on his face, and he says, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Mary chooses to listen to Jesus while her sister Martha was cooking, and there's nothing wrong with cooking, but listening to Jesus is better. It's a better choice. Focusing on what God has to say is a better choice. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. What if your goal, for those of you that have small children, young children, elementary age or maybe younger, what if your goal was to daily teach your children, just a little, a little by little, day by day, to know Jesus over the next five years? Let's just say five minutes or ten minutes every day. Just a little, little devotional, little word of God. Imagine what it could do, what could happen over the course of time, over five years or 10 years or maybe 25 years, or even if we're long gone, 50 years from now, the difference that, that little investment over time might make. If we just took that time to teach our 
children, the little ones in our lives, what the Bible says, a little bit every day. Jesus pointed out that focusing on what God has to say is a good choice. It's a good choice. In fact, this has been consistent throughout all of the people of God from the very beginning until today. We read in Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, check this out. It says, fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So I want to encourage those of you who have little ones. They're still in your home. Or maybe you have little ones in your lives. That little by little, day by day, you might do the simplest things to make an investment in them. The simplest things, like maybe reading a children's Bible to them. Just, just a few pages. Every day. And then look what will happen over the long haul. It may not be exactly perfect the way you want it to work out, but think about how far down the road your kids might be if you did that, just a little bit every day. I just want to encourage you. If you're doing it, keep doing it. If you're not doing it, consider picking that up and adding that to what is, I know, already a busy life. But wouldn't we all agree that investing like this in our kids would be very, very important? Now, I realize that there are some of you who your kids are grown. They're already gone. They're out of the house And maybe you didn't do any of this when they were little. Back then, your kids were small, and you, as you look back on it, you wish you had done it, but you didn't. Or maybe you didn't have the time that you should have invested. Maybe you were really, really busy, or you traveled a lot, or there just wasn't that margin that you'd given to it. I just, I want to encourage you that God is so much bigger than our regrets, Some of you start beating yourself up in a moment like this, and I want to give you a little bit of encouragement. We sang about God's forgiveness, and that's not just for everybody else. God restores what was lost. He restores what's been taken from us, and he restores what we didn't do. Not just for everyone else, but it's for you as well. There's another group. Maybe you're in that season where you have grandkids. So just take some time. Whenever you have the opportunity, get your grandkids and talk about Jesus. Think about it. You don't always have to open the Bible. Just do like it said in Deuteronomy. When you're you're walking on the road or when you're just talking, Jesus, talk about him. Talk about what the Bible says and talk about what God's doing in your life and in your heart. And then ask them questions. You know, asking kids questions is really insightful because they have some of the greatest answers. They have some really bad theology sometimes, but that's what you need to find out to steer them back to the truth. But their answers are precious. It's going to strengthen your faith. And in the process, you'll be planting seeds that will germinate to help them grow a faith as well. Maybe you don't have kids. You don't have grandkids. And there are no kids in your life, just none. I'd encourage you to get plugged into our children's ministry or our student ministry here. What an amazing opportunity to be able to pour into the lives of these children, these students, to raise up leaders, to raise up disciples in Jesus. Well, let's jump back in the text. I'm wondering, when we talk about Mary and Martha, and there's this little comparison going on in the text, How many of you have this sense of, I don't really like 
this story. Because you're not identifying with the hero in the story, which is Mary. You find yourself more in the category of Martha. Anybody feel that way? Yeah, don't raise your hands. Oh, you did already. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> yes, okay. I am guilty as charged. Yeah, we all probably feel that. We already feel that. We feel like, let's be honest, it can be frustrating because we're doers. We want to get stuff done. We got tasks ahead of us, and we want to plow ahead, checking off boxes, drawing lines through the to-do list to get stuff done. And then I got that sister who's, she's just, as my dad would say, lollygagging around. I don't even know what that means. If it means something bad, please don't tell me, okay? But that's what it seems like is happening here, right? Oftentimes, we're a lot like Martha more than we are like Mary. Here's a question. Do you spend more time focusing on what you're doing for Jesus versus focusing on Jesus? I've let myself get distracted at different seasons in my life. I'm certainly not proud of that. I wonder if you see yourself in Martha as well as I do. Doesn't it, if you do, does it bother you at all? It certainly does me. Have you ever noticed that the sins that we struggle with the most, we find to look uglier when we see it in other people? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah, when you see it and you think, that is horrible. Oh my goodness, that's horrible. Because you hate it in you and you, you hate it in them. And so looking at Martha thinking she's the worst compared to her sister, I mean, she could have been with Jesus too and they could have just had popcorn that night, you know? I mean, you look at her and you go, she's the worst, but on the inside, you kind of get it, don't you? I know I do. We read this and you wonder, why is Martha so mad? I mean, what happened? It seems like she was so excited to have Jesus, this up-and-coming rabbi, in her home. What a big honor. What a big deal. And she's putting all this preparation together. She probably had a bunch of lists. Any type A's in here that make lists, you love lists, right? You love spreadsheets, Spreadsheets are your middle name. I mean, you love that because it organizes there. Martha probably had a spreadsheet before there even were spreadsheets. Think about it. She had a list. She had a list for her lists, right? And all of that. And she probably even gave her sister some of those lists, right? We don't know. We have no idea, okay? But she's excited to have Jesus there, and she's got all this stuff together. And then all of a sudden, she sees that her sister's in the, in the living room, so she interrupts Jesus, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm sure she didn't talk that harshly. I'm sorry to interrupt, okay? Jesus, what you're doing is fabulous. We love you. It's an honor. But someone, and I'm not going to say names, <laughs> should be in the kitchen helping me right now. And check out Jesus' response. I love what the, how the message writes it. It says, the master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. Mary chose the main course. She's having meat and potatoes. That's what she's having. She's chosen the main thing, and Jesus is the main thing. He's the main course. He's front and center. Mary chose to sit at his feet. That can't be taken away from her. That's what Jesus said. She made this choice. Can't take this from her. This is very important. Because you and I know what can't be taken away from us. It's Jesus. 
Even if our plans fail, our relationship with Jesus is rock solid no matter what else gets taken away. They can take everything from us, even our health, everyone we love, all of our resources, all of that. And yet the one thing they can't take, the one thing that can't be taken from us is our relationship with Jesus. There are two main objectives to keeping the main thing the main thing. And by the way, Mary knew that Jesus was the main thing. She knew that. And eventually Martha would know that too. But here are the two objectives. The first one is this. Choose your goals well. Choose your goals well. Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. She could have been doing a bunch of things to help her sister. But when she waited out, for whatever reason, she chose that. Now Martha seems to have a different choice. And it looks like she planned out everything in order to host Jesus. She probably made this list that I was talking about. She probably even had a grocery list. One of the lists was a grocery list. We went to uh, Trader Joe's last night. And we didn't bring our grocery list. And we were like, we were lost. We were lost in the sea of grocery items. Because there was no list. You have to have a list. And folks, this, what we're talking about is before click list, right? Where people actually had to write down a list and go and pull things off and put it in a card. Some of you are going, what do you speak of, foreigner? <laughs> the truth is, she's got this list. And all of a sudden, she may have given Mary some tasks we don't know. We don't know. But she's frustrated with her sister. Maybe Mary finished her list. Maybe she didn't even get a list at all. We don't know. Regardless of the situation, Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And, and it's important for just a moment to push pause here and kind of step off. And this doesn't have a lot to do with the exact topic that we're talking about. But I want to, I want to talk about something that was happening culturally. This is, Jesus is kind of seen as a renegade here. Actually, what is taking place is pretty controversial in the first century. In those days, women weren't invited to be disciples of a rabbi. And if you're sitting at the teacher's feet, that showed you were one of his students, one of his disciples. And in those days, it was very unusual for a woman to be seen where Mary was, at the feet of a teacher, a rabbi. And it's very unusual for a teacher to accept a woman in that role in that first century. In fact, women were considered by many I would say even by most in the first century to be inferior to men intellectually, physically, and even spiritually. Ladies, aren't you glad you live today? Yeah, <laughs> I thought there would be a stronger belief in that. <laughs> Praise God. But Jesus isn't that way. He isn't that way. He actually elevates the value of women. He places a high value on them. And in his day, a rabbi talking to a woman other than his wife or another family member would have been very rare. In fact, it would have been scandalous in certain occasions. But there's this one instance that seems to summarize his attitude toward women. Because we, we see him. He has disciples that are followers of him that are women. But there's this one instance happened in Samaria. There's this woman on this occasion that Jesus has a conversation with. She's a Samaritan woman. She's the most unlikely person that a rabbi in the first century would have talked to. And here's why. First of all, she's a Samaritan, and Jews and Samaritans were at odds with each other. There were these racial differences, distinctions between them that kept them agitated toward one another. Secondly, she was a woman. And as I mentioned, they rarely, rabbis rarely talked to women 
outside of their own families. And thirdly, she was a woman with a checkered past, a sinful reputation. Some people may have known it in her city, most probably did. She was going to the well in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, which meant she had a reason to avoid all the other women who went early in the morning or late in the evening. And Jesus knows who she is because he's God. But when his disciples show up, they are surprised, the Bible says. Like, you know when you talk to your spouse or a friend and you don't move your lips, you just kind of talk through your teeth like, hey, master, what's going on? You know who she is? She's a woman. Hello. You know? You got to trying to get his attention. They're, su- they're surprised by this. They're surprised. Why would Jesus have a conversation with this woman? And the text tells us why. Because he wants her to have living water. He wants her to have living water. Why would, he, why would he want that? Why would he do this? Because every person, even a sinful Samaritan woman, was highly valued by Jesus. That's why he took the time, had the conversation, and broke a bunch of cultural rules. I just want to encourage the women of Northeast. You are highly valued by God. I'm not sure where you're at in your journey, but if you're part of the family of God, you're one of his daughters, and you should never forget that. You may be a mother, a wife, a friend, a daughter, a sister, a niece, but first and foremost, above every other role you might play, you are a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he values you and he loves you unconditionally. Never, ever forget that. The first objective, choose your values well. Choose your goals well. Now to choose means to select from a number of possibilities. And Mary chose Jesus. And sometimes Mary gets a bad rap in that. Sometimes we look at Mary and we go, she's kind of lazy. I mean, her sister's just killing it in the kitchen. And she's out here just goofing around. Mary was really working hard Mary, Mar- Martha was really working hard, but Mary was just sitting around. And maybe, maybe Martha still had stuff to do and Mary had gotten her stuff done. We don't know. Whatever the case is, Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe she had her part of the spreadsheet completed, but she does which gives us the main idea of this part of the text. Mary made Jesus the priority. There were a lot of things she could have done, and she knows that. She probably heard her sister huffing and puffing in the kitchen before she ever came in and made that big statement to Jesus. She knows that, but she chose Jesus. It is a great choice. It is a great goal. She chose the best thing. We all have lots of things to do. The one thing that every one of us probably in this room would agree on is that this life is busy. Amen? We're constantly active. We're always working, it seems, toward one thing or another. If it's my job or if it's at home or if it's the family or if it's the kids or the grandkids or whatever, we're always seemingly busy. Here's the deal. Prioritize Jesus above all else is what we need to practice daily. He should be the priority one. That doesn't mean he's the first thing you do in the morning. It may not be. But he should take priority over every day. It's a fight, too, 
to put him first every day, to not wake up and start doing life and look around and start taking care of the things because there's so many things that need to get done. I don't know if I'm, that's the only, I'm the only person that feels that way in my life. You probably feel that way too. Making Jesus first in your life can be a challenge. It can be tough sometimes. Martha wasn't wrong in wanting to make a meal and make a great, great meal and gathering for Jesus. She, someone's got to cook, someone's got to clean. And it wasn't wrong to want to make this party epic. And some of you have been, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been planning a Super Bowl party for a number of days now, right? You've been getting wing orders. You've been wanting to make sure you got all the right dips and right desserts and everything because if the game doesn't deliver and the commercials are average, at least the food was good, right? You know it. God created you like that. And that's the way he wired Martha. But it seems like Martha was putting the emphasis on the preparations and not on who she was preparing it for. And it's so easy for us, even when we're involved in church things and we're doing things for God, sometimes it's easy for us to get so focused on what we're doing, we forget who we're doing it for. Remember, we need to put our focus on Jesus. Connect what you do with Jesus and put him at the center. Nobody exemplified this better to me than a little old lady that I knew when I worked at South and Christian. Her name was Fanny Hamilton, and she was a special lady to a lot of people. And certainly, she was very special to me. The one thing you'd know about Fanny if you met her, because she would let you know this relatively soon in your relationship, she loved Jesus. I mean, in every way you could, she just had this deep, deep love for Jesus. And she decided when she was in her 70s that she was going to be a youth coach in our student ministry at the time. So she became the grandma for over a hundred high school kids. I mean, when they saw her, she would hug them. I mean, she was just like everybody's grandma. It's like, that is such a great idea. Get a grandma to show up because there are kids who need a grandma, right? And so when they would walk in they would get loved by Fanny. And they knew that the reason she did that is because Jesus loved her. She made sure they knew that. And then something really tragic happened. Fanny had a couple of strokes, serious strokes. One side of her body she lost the function of. Her, her, her face drooped on that side. She went through this really long period of rehab. And then one day she was back at student ministry. She had to walk with a cane. She wasn't very stable, but when she smiled, now her smile was crooked because of the stroke, but when she smiled, she still lit up the room. And people knew she loved Jesus. And she loved them. Here's the thing that resonated with me so much about Fanny. She never allowed her circumstances to make her bitter or hopeless. Fanny was a beautiful example to all of us of how life doesn't always happen the way we desire, but that never seemed to phase her. Long before the strokes and the rehab, Fanny had driven a stake in the timeline of her life to put Jesus at the center of her life. And she continued to trust him, even when things didn't go the way that they planned. And that happens to everybody to varying degrees. 
If life doesn't go the way we plan in five years or in two years or in one week, we have to choose where, what we're going to do before we have to face it, before life gets out of hand or happens to not be the way that we planned it. We have to choose to listen to Jesus, to surrender to him, to follow him, to just be with him. It's saying no matter what I face, no matter how I hurt or how this life hurts, I'm gonna still praise him. And it's making that decision to train for the trial that you have not even yet the knowledge of what the trial will be. You're preparing. You're putting the purpose in your heart of what you're going to do when life suddenly changes or goes off the rails. And it's not just choosing it, but it's doing it. So if you choose your path well, then no matter what happens, good or bad, follow through with it. And that's our second objective. Follow through with Jesus. Remember Luke 10, 39. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Here's what's important. Mary didn't just choose to do that. She didn't just talk about it. She actually did it. And it went against a lot of culture. It went against some people. Even some of the disciples may have been in that room looking at her a little bit funny, like, what is she doing here? Right? We have no record of that, but that's what the culture was. So it's highly prob- probable. He's, he's a great person. Yeah, Jesus is. We might look at him like she did. And she just wanted to be there to listen to him. But it's easy for people to look at Jesus and go, he's a great person. He did some awesome things. But it's a whole other thing to take the step over here and say, he is who he said he was. He said he was the Son of God, and I believe that. And he came, and he died, and then he rose from the dead. And that makes him different than anyone else. It's easy to say he did all these great things. Another, It's a big step to say he's the Son of God. And the great thing about the Gospels, and we're reading through Scripture right now, we're in Acts in the 2020 reading plan, but we just read one of the Gospels, Luke, and we're, we're looking at Acts now, the first church. But when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, they tell us all about Jesus. They're like little biographies. You see his life. You see what he was preaching about at the time or what he was teaching about or his interaction with the religious leaders of the day. You see these accounts of his miracles that he did. And you see him. And it's so awesome. It's just a little biography about him, each one of those. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Mark, the third chapter, the first six verses, there's a little story in there about a man who the Bible says had a crippled hand, okay? And the, the religious leaders of the day are kind of stalking Jesus. They're looking to see Jesus if he's going to do something wrong. And they see this man who has this deformity that they're dealing with, this disability that is, he's dealing with, and they're wondering, is Jesus going to heal him? And it's the Sabbath. And so they're, they're kind of just really paying attention. And that's crazy. What's crazy about it is that these religious leaders watched him so closely because they wanted to trap him, breaking an Old Testament law, so that they could marginalize him, or even worse, have him eliminated or killed. And these guys, they seem obsessed with him. I mean, why would you do that? They saw Jesus face to face, but it doesn't seem to have changed them at all. 
These guys are all throughout the four Gospels. You're going to see them propping up in the narratives in all four of the Gospels. And you could just picture them. They're watching Jesus. And they're there, and they see everything that Jesus is doing. But they're blind to him. Jesus was right there before him, and they couldn't see him for who he was. Which tells us proximity to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a relationship with him. No more than being in a garage makes you a car. Just doesn't mean. And being close to Jesus and not knowing him is a really scary place to be. As a church, we see God do amazing things in people's lives all the time. We see lives change. We see marriages restored. We see families put back together. We see people's lives change all because of Jesus, not because of me or anybody else on the staff or anybody else in this church. It's simply because of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to be in a place where you're looking at Jesus, not with criticism, but with wonder and amazement. Just picture, what if Jesus was standing right here in this spot? Where would you be? Would you be on this front row? Would you even be here? Would you be sitting on the floor? Would you be hanging on every word like Mary who sat right at his feet? In Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 13, we read about James or John and uh, Peter. They were put on trial. And the reason I pull this out is because time spent with Jesus can have a remarkable impact on a person's life. Or it can have, as we see with the religious leaders, no impact at all. In fact, they were moving away because of the, the hearts that they had. But we read in Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they're on trial, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What I think is awesome about this is that people can tell when you've been with Jesus. They can tell. I don't know where you want to be in five years, but make sure you're doing it with Jesus. Peter and John were uneducated. You could say they probably weren't the sharpest tools in the shed, but the text says these people noticed that they had been with Jesus. There was something unique about them. And I want to propose to you, Northeast, that regardless of where you want to be in five years, decide now that you'll do it with Jesus. Plan to be inspired. Be as creative as God has, is leading you to be, whatever it is he calls you to do over the next five years, but do it with Jesus. My hope for you is that in five years, you'll be experiencing the fullness of God's blessings, that he will just open the windows of heaven and just pour out his blessings on you. And the dreams that you never thought that you would ever attain, you will see yourself reaching those dreams. But I have to tell you that on the other side of that continuum, my prayer for you is that if in five years life looks very different, that you're prepared for that. Maybe you're planning to run a marathon, but you know that you're never gonna reach that goal because you'll never run again. Maybe because of a disability or of a health problem that you have. Or maybe you 
Your vision at this point five years from now is that your, your marriage is going to grow and it's going to be one of those that will be a, a picture, a model for others to look at. But you get there and it's anything but that. It has been a struggle all five years. Whatever the case, it's very different than the plans that you made. Even if life doesn't go as planned, that you'd be so in love with Jesus that you'd make it a priority to sit at his feet listening to what he has to say no matter what's going on in your life. That your relationship with him is so rich and so deep that no matter what happens, even the worst things that could, you could think of, maybe your finances are taken or maybe someone you love dearly is taken, but the thing that cannot be taken is your relationship with Jesus. Because no one can take that from you. No experience in life can take that from you. God has a lot for you. I believe that. And we anticipate that he's going to do some great things in this place and in the lives of this, of this church over the course of the next five years. And I believe that he's going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you and I could ever ask or imagine. Even in the hard stuff even in the hard stuff. So make Jesus a priority, no matter what it is you're dreaming of. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this time, and we get to study your word, and I'm thankful for the way that you speak into our lives through it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you won't let these thoughts that we've been wrestling with this morning die until we resolve to put Jesus at the heart and center of our lives. Lord, I just ask that you would overwhelm every person in this church today, every part of this body of believers, even those that aren't here, that you would overwhelm them with the simple fact that our relationship with you is the one thing that cannot be taken away. And I pray, God, that the end of this five years or whatever the length of time that we're dreaming about, that we would be so strong in our relationship with you that nothing, nothing could ever take us down. That nothing that happens that's not going according to plan would take us out, would stop us from being who you called us to be. Because we will be clinging so tightly to you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for being our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the hope that we can have today. This isn't just faith for the sake of faith, but you actually came and gave us reason to understand and to believe that you are the Son of God. You died on the cross and laid in a tomb. And for three days you were dead and then you came back to life. And God, we praise you for that. Our hope is in you. No matter what happens, as we set goals for the next five years, Lord, I pray that you'll bless those goals and those objectives. And you would pour out the, the blessings of heaven on us. But Lord, when those, when those events happen where life goes off the rails and things that we didn't anticipate or we didn't plan for, 
that they don't rock us because we're still in that relationship with you that nobody can take. God, for that, I thank you. I thank you for your love and your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.